Welcome to episode number 73 of the Seat Struck Movie Podcast. My name is John. Joining me today is my co-host, Quinn. Hey guys, how's it going? And Curtis. Hello. It's a lovely January 22nd. It's actually my brother's birthday, so happy birthday, Billy. Happy birthday, Billy. And uh, <laughs> uh, it's a beautiful day. It's a Sunday. How's What's everyone up to? I think everyone's been enjoying, uh, you know, coming back out of the holiday season, back into normalcy. Things are good. Yeah, I went for a nice shawarma run, so I would... I ran 10K and then at the end I had a nice shawarma. So <laughs> that was a good way to start my uh, my Sunday. <laughs> right on. Yeah, no, got, got to love some shawarma. Got to love good shawarma. I uh, I don't know. I'm just pumped. It's the NFL playoffs today. So I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm having a few, uh, few buddies over for that a little later on. Um, so I'm really looking forward to, to watching that. Yeah. Um, big Cowboys game. Big Cowboys game. Yeah. I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. Uh, unfortunately I deal with a lot of sadness and pain, but it's okay. <laughs> the Cowboys Sport, are worth it. <laughs> sports is suffering. Yeah. Sports is oh, suffering. Oh yeah. Yeah. But, uh, Hey, you know what? It, it, it is what it is. But, uh, what about you, John? What's going on with you, bud? I'll probably also watch some football, but I go on to my folks, my brother's birthday. So, uh, my mom's making a nice dinner for my brother. So we're going over and visiting for a bit and, uh, probably try to catch up on some, on some work stuff heading into the work week. So that's, that's where I'm at. So, um, yeah, that's all to say, folks. We're here today. It's episode number 73. Fun movie topic today. Um, a bit atypical for us because I think we normally dealt in mostly movies from like the late 70s and onward, like we did all the John Carpenters. This is a we're special doing... one, though. This is this a special is a... one. Yeah, so we're we're taking you back to 1942. Um, the reason I picked this one, too, is because we, this one's actually just celebrating its uh, 80th anniversary. It came out. I believe just at the end of the year, December in 20, uh, sorry, 1942, and then got its theatrical release, full release around the country in 1943. So this is around the anniversary of its big wide release. This is the classic romance Casablanca from 1942. So of course, probably a movie that a lot of people have seen, but if you're a bit of a younger head movie head, you might not have actually gotten into a lot of the classic Hollywood stuff, but this is definitely one that you should check out, of course, directed by Michael Curtis, uh, starring, of course, the great Humphrey Bogart, Ingrid Bergman, um, telling a story. It takes place during World War II as well, which is pretty prescient into the plot. So we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that when we get to the movie. But uh, first off, starting off with uh, new watch list entries. I've actually now been in the habit of watching a lot of my old watch list movies. Like I think I've chipped off like six or seven in the last like week or two so i'm finally i'm finally actually watching the damn things but uh watch list what 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 new stuff have we added that we're going to be checking out so uh curtis what what new things have you added to your list right so i added a couple things to my watch list too obviously uh i've been digging uh as uh isabel uh at jari's uh filmography especially since uh i watched possession last week too and obviously i'm a huge fan of Werner Hitzog's um have Nosferatu, uh, which she was in too. Um, and then I found out that Klaus Kinski also did this other film called Nosferatu in Venice. <laughs> I think it's going to be absolute shit, but I was kind of curious to check it out. So I, I do want to watch that. I think it's the plot is exactly what it sounds like. Probably like a B mm-hmm. version of the, uh, the Werner Herzog film. Probably not very good, uh, but uh, you know. I think that's the Klaus one that Klaus Kinski was a total maniac on. He was oh, like... I think he's he's a probably maniac in every film. But yeah, I'm I'm kind of curious to see him unleashed. You know, so uh, bless uh, God bless the uh, poor st- director and crew that had to work with him. But <laughs> I'm okay. kind of keen to check it out. Uh, and then uh, I think you talked about it last week too, but I want to watch, check out the Softy Brothers one, the uh, Heaven Knows What, nice. um, too. And I think you watched this one too, John. But I uh, I was keen to check out Skin and Marine too, which oh, is a Canadian yeah. film, horror film, kind of experimental too. And the I don't I think the director one thought it would be like this little B movie, but it's actually quite blown up quite a bit. And these kids wake up and I think they're like trapped in a house with no windows or something. Um, I think that's the basic that's ah, pretty it? pretty close to it it's, <laughs> yeah. it's omitting a few details i will say it's um it just got a theatrical release it's also getting i think a, it's releasing on shutter next week so definitely keep an eye on that when it drops 
And I also wanted to watch, because um, I've been really big on these kind of true crime documentaries lately and true crime stories. I wanted to watch, there's a film coming up this year on the Boston Strangler. I think Jessica Chastain plays a reporter in it too, but uh, really interesting case. And I'm interesting, interested to see what they do with it. So uh, cool. I guess, yeah, we'll see how that turn, it turns out. That's all my uh, watch list editions this week. What about you, uh, Quinn? Yeah, so the first one um, <clears throat> that I have this week is a film from the 70s. And it's called Jeremiah Johnson. Oh, it's Brian so good, Redford. man. That's where the meme comes from, too. <laughs> yeah, with the nodding. It's not Zach Galifianakis. It's it's uh, Robert Redford, where he's like yeah. nodding yeah. or whatever. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so it's uh, a mountain man who wishes to live the life of a hermit, becomes the unwilling object of a long vendetta by the Crow tribe, and proves to be a match for their warriors in single combat on the early frontier. Um, yeah, it's from 1972, uh you know I, I came across it i didn't realize it was the uh that yeah the the zach galifianakis yeah i always thought it was him and then i'm like wait yeah, a yeah. second yeah, i remember <laughs> i remember thinking to myself i'm like Doppel I'm doppelgangers thinking, yeah i'm like i remember seeing the gif of that and i'm like zach galifianakis wasn't no zach galifianakis in the 70s like what the yeah. hell by, like <laughs> he's he, a vampire this, oh yeah I hope he's an osferatu in venice right like, he is close <laughs> yeah it's it's a great movie i think you'll love it it's one of my favorite robert redford movies actually i really really liked it oh beautiful man yeah no I, i'm i'm definitely excited to check that out uh and then the next movie i got on here this week is called a movie called gummo nice oh yeah that's the harmony Corman harmony Corman. yeah uh, it features uh nick sutton and it's uh, lonely residents of a tornado-stricken Ohio town wander the des deserted landscape trying to fulfill their boring, nihilistic lives. Um, <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> yeah, it's a comedy drama. I, I don't know. I came across it because I know uh, Tarantino's theater in L.A., they were showing it. So I'm like, oh, what's this? So I looked into it and, and added it to my list. So Have you seen him? Um, because he did the script for kids, I think, too. Have you seen that one, the Larry Clark film? That's a fucked up movie. But oh, yeah. I mean, all, all these movies are fucked up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I, yeah. Have. I have yeah. no legs. I have no <laughs> yeah. legs. <laughs> yeah, basically. Poor bastard. <laughs> um, and then uh, the next one I have is a movie on um, Margaret Thatcher called The Iron Lady. Mm -hmm. um, starring Meryl Streep, who I love. Not the biggest fan, I guess, but yeah. like, I I definitely love Meryl Streep. Um, she's she's, she's so fantastic, um, and it's basically about an elderly Margaret Thatcher talks to the imagined presence of her recently deceased husband as she struggles to come to terms with his death, while scenes from her past life, from girlhood to British Prime Minister, intervene. Um, yeah, I'm pretty much only interested in this for Meryl Streep's performance because she probably kills it um so yeah so i will definitely definitely check that out um definitely looking forward to that and then the last one i have is a movie um that's not out yet it's out in march and it's starring our friend willem dafoe oh nice and it's a drama i i don't know if it's a24 can't remember anyway it's about uh, Nemo, a high-end art thief, is trapped in a New York penthouse after his heist doesn't go as planned. Locked inside with nothing but priceless works of art, he must use all his cunning and invention to survive. So, it hasn't, it doesn't tell you much. The trailer doesn't tell you much, and I'm, I already know it's going to be a banger. I, I love Willem Dafoe. I think he's phenomenal. No, oh, he's I'd good in everything. <laughs> I'd say he's one of my uh, one of my favorite uh, actors right now. Yeah, me say. too. Yeah, he's just great. Um, so I'm definitely excited to watch that uh, in March. I believe it comes out on the 31st of the month. But uh, anyway, that's all I have for my watch list. Um, John, what about you? Yeah, I've got I got three on my list, and actually, I'm glad you mentioned uh, uh, Harmony Korine because I got a Harmony Korine movie on my list. It's one of I think it's his either his newest movie or one of his newest movies. So it's the uh, 2019 film The Beach Bum, starring I believe Matthew McConaughey. Um, it's about the misadventures of Moon Dog, a rebellious stoner and lovable <laughs> rogue who lives large. I saw the trailer come up. I think it's on Netflix, and it, it looked really great. I I actually haven't seen a lot of the Harmony Korine stuff. I tried to watch I think Spring Breakers a while back and never finished it, but. Um, <laughs> I I I have seen some of his early stuff, and uh, I I think he does like really kind of interesting looks at like 
weird kind of Americana characters, you know, the 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 Florida man, if you will. And I, I think this <laughs> film looks like it's the ultimate representation of like the Florida man. So really want to check that I th- one out. I think most of the films that we're seeing, I, I think Ken Park is a bit too much. I didn't like Ken Park, but I would re- probably recommend the rest of his scripted stuff yeah yeah for sure um another one on my list this is one that a lot of people have seen i've seen it on the internet all the time it's uh the mike judge film from 2006 idiocracy which is uh i guess like a comedy kind of a satirical comedy like he does with a lot of his films and and, and shows i'll tell you uh, what <laughs> the test so it's to test the top secret human hibernation project the pentagon picks the two most average americans it can find sends them into the future um, but when they arrive, it turns out the future's actually been dominated by morons. So the idea behind it is that <laughs> smart people don't have children. All the only people who like raise kids and have families are idiots. And the idea is like society gets more and more dumb and dumb. And so he goes to this future where everyone's stupid and he's and they're actually the smartest people around. Um, haven't seen it. People talk about it all the time. They reference it. Um, I don't know if it's going to be better than Office Space. Um, but I, I know that movie. Watched that one again recently for the pod. That one was still pretty funny. I, there are some parts of it that didn't hold up all that well, but it was still I still had a, a lot of laughs. So and I, I gen, tend to generally like Mike Judge's comedy styling. So want to check that one out. And lastly is uh, Marty Scorsese from 2019. It's a documentary he did on Bob Dylan uh, called Thrilling Thunder Review, the Bob, a Bob Dylan story, which is sort of like part documentary. And I believe it's also a bit of a concert film, too. So it's capturing kind of contrasting America at the time of the film in 1975 and to Bob Dylan's own music during that kind of famous fall tour he did uh, as the th- Rolling Thunder review. So really, and that's like one of my favorite eras of Bob Dylan. So really want to check that movie out. I've um, heard, heard some pretty good things about that. Um, so that's that's roughly it on my list though. So I guess we can check out what we watched this week. I, as Just like last week, I, I've got a huge backlog. So I'm going to probably talk about most of my stuff that I've been watching next week. Um, but I guess start off with you, Quinn. What uh, what new things have you uh, checked out recently? Yeah, um, I haven't uh, had the chance to really watch very, very much. Uh, I've been super busy with work, but I did start watching the newest season of Hell's Kitchen, which is... <laughs> is it still going on? Jesus. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> donkey. <laughs> yeah, I think it's like season 21 or something right wow. now. But um, yeah, I'm a few episodes in. And you know what? It, it's, it's fun. I must admit, I, I always like you know, I'm always rooting for the chefs and stuff, but at yeah. the same time, like, you know, someone who's like a D de- I, I don't know, I guess a half decent cook, but like, I love sitting there and being like, those scallops are raw. Like, yeah. Cause he says no like way- all the things that we want to say at work, but we can't really say, you know, there's no, like- yeah, there's no way he's going <laughs> to accept that risotto and then like shows up and then, you know, it's a big screaming match and whatever. And I, I like the challenges too. I like to see what, uh, what sort of, um, rewards they get you know for for yeah. for their efforts and whatever it's 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 a fun show it still holds up the editing's hilarious sometimes but like <laughs> yeah it's i don't know i i have fun with it my wife and i enjoy it so but uh yeah that's all i watched unfortunately this week hopefully watch more movies this week i got some a little bit of time off so i'll uh i'll be filling that up for sure um but uh what about you john yeah, so I, I've got a few things on my list. I even have a video game on my list, which I, I think I talked nice. about last week. So I guess I'll start off with that one. I um, had some time. I don't play a lot of video games anymore. Um, you know, I thought when I was younger, I'm like, yeah, once I'm an adult, I have a job, money, I'll be able to play all the games <laughs> I want. And now it's like I'd rather just like go out with friends or stuff. So I don't play that many games, but I did start playing um, the Uncharted remastered series on the PS4. I started playing it about a year ago. Um, stopped, got kind of got out of it and then recently had a bit of time where I felt like playing games. So I finally finished uh, Uncharted Drake's Fortune, which I really did not like. Like, I think the, the story was fine. It's basically a pastiche of like Indiana Jones. Nathan Drake is basically Indiana Jones. It's this whole adventure uh, finding Francis Bacon and kind of the, the story of El Dorado. And he's paired up with this, um, um, for, like this journalist who kind of ends up with them because there's this attack on their boat and the rest of the film or the, the game rather, but it's, it's almost like a movie. It's about them trying to kind of avoid danger and avoid the people coming after them so they can get to this thing. And it's also a little bit like Far Cry. Like, I don't want to spoil too much, but the once once they get to the second half of the game, it's more supernatural stuff starts to happen. Um, Save your douchey I, I, friends. <laughs> I mean, it's it's definitely shows its age. The original the original game came out, I believe. I think it was a launch title for the PlayStation Three when it came out. So it's it's very at this point the kind of the styles of the gameplay, um, the mechanics feel a little bit dated. But I still had at least some fun playing it. It's got some good sequences, although some of the enemies in the game are like bullet sponges. Like I had to shoot guys like 
five times with a shotgun to kill them. I'm like, this is this is insane. I'm just like blasting guys like point blank, <laughs> like nothing's doing no damage. It's <laughs> ragdolling around. I'm like, what is going on? But uh, I will say I did start just start playing the second game. And already it's like a massive quality leap uh, from the first one. So I would actually tell people probably skip Drake's Fortune. I mean, if you bought the remastered, you have all of them, you can play them. But I would say you don't have to play the first one. Just play the second one. It's a lot better. You don't, you're, you're going to have a much more enjoyable experience to start things off. Um, also, I've been watching a few other movies as well, too. I watched this uh, uh, this series on Netflix called Crime Scene, The Texas Killing Fields. Oh, yeah, that's they did, Joe, like, three... Joe, Berlinger, Joe Berlinger, I think. Yeah, I think they did a few other documentaries as well, too. This is a story about just da- down the highway uh, from south from Houston all the way to Galveston. There's like um, a, a kind of a series of marshland fields where a bunch of bodies were discovered and it turns out they all linked together possibly linked together to a notorious serial serial killer and it's never been resolved so the case sort of investigates that and i'm i'm usually pretty i i'm against a lot of these netflix documentaries i find them a bit hokey but i i thought this one was pretty good i think as a true crime doc it like definitely like sets the mood for something dreary dark and kind of it reminded me a lot of like the atlanta monster documentaries like kind of that particular time in america where it was like the you know, the renaissance of serial killers. Like this was just before like DNA, like a decade before DNA evidence was really a thing. And a lot of these crimes were like, the police were just ineffectual. Like the police like didn't do fuck all in like these cases. And they sat on this information and and, and it kind of shows you like how far the families had to go to actually kind of find some kind of justice. And even the fact that the there's two women like found almost side by side to each other, both killed, and they were the police were telling them, yeah, the families you shouldn't talk to each other, like leave them alone. And like that fact that they did stuff like that is is kind of is kind of despicable. But I didn't watch the whole thing. I think I I, I was started watching the third episode and um, just didn't catch on to it. But I, I'll probably try to finish the whole thing. I, I thought it was pretty pretty. I would call it fun, but I enjoyed watching it. <laughs> Entertaining. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but watching a few other things I mentioned before, I've been starting to watch some of the Jess Franco stuff. And so I watched uh, his 1969 film, a color film, uh, Marquis de Sade's Justine, um, much less oh, pornographic <laughs> than you might expect uh, for a Jess Franco film. I mean, the beginning is very pornographic. And then after that, it's smooth sailing. One of the reasons why is the actress who plays Justine uh, was underage. So they actually kind of couldn't really do a lot. And apparently Jess Franco was mad about that. I'm like, what a fucking pervert. But I found <laughs> yeah. the movie to be a total fucking snooze. I know there actually are some fans who say this movie um, by by his standards is actually pretty good. It's very, fairly dramatic. It's fairly faithful to the original story, which I'm, I'm not familiar with. But I, I just thought it was kind of a snooze at times. Like I, I found um, it to be kind of, um, it, it's it's fairly dry and dramatic, which I, I think would surprise some people. I, I thought it was kind of boring myself. Um, but Klaus Kinski plays Marquis de Sade in it, which is great casting. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> 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 so ah. he makes it appear. <laughs> it's like, ah, screaming, screaming intensifies. Uh, so that's, that's that one. Uh, what else did I watch? Damn, I watched a lot of stuff. I watched... Uh, Oh, you know what? I rolled out to the Mayfair because uh, one of my favorite unofficial holidays is Friday the 13th. Uh, so last week it was happened to be Friday the 13th. So uh, the local theaters, both in, in Ottawa, both theaters, the Mayfair and Bytown were showing uh, movies from the Friday the 13th series. But I've been partial to the Mayfair because they've been doing a, I guess, a seven year long Friday the 13th marathon because I think they had like three Friday the 13th that didn't happen because of COVID. It was during lockdown. So uh, there's only one or two Friday the 13th a year. So I think the last movie is supposed to come out on in 2027. So they're every Friday the 13th, they're showing the next iteration in the series. Uh, so it was, of course, January, uh, Friday the 13th. So I went to see um, the most recent edition at that cinema, which was the fifth movie, Friday the 13th, A New Beginning. I hadn't seen this movie in a very long time. I remember watching it and, and enjoying it. Um, I, I think when it came out, it's probably the one that's had the most critical reappraisal because I feel like most people just for many years didn't like this movie. It was kind of like the 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 equivalent to like Halloween three or the equivalent to like a, maybe like um, Nightmare on Elm Street two. Kind of the iteration of the series is a little bit different, a little bit stranger. Has its detractors. People think it's kind of doesn't fit in, and people did not like this movie when it came out. And I I don't want to spoil too much, but part of the reason why people didn't like it is it has to do with a character reveal at the end of the movie, which people thought was very annoying and didn't like. But coming back to this movie, it's it's pretty fun. I, it's actually directed by a form by a notorious porn porno director, which is one of the reasons why. <laughs> It's definitely the sleaziest Friday the 13th. Like we got many women taking their tops off. A lot of cocaine in this movie. Like everyone, every character is like doing lines and just fucking. So (laughs) it's, and I think someone actually timed it. And this might actually be, I have have to revisit the, um, 
the um, director's commentary and stuff, but I believe they actually made it so that every five minutes there's a kill. So it's like the movie feels like very punchy. Um, the rough story is that it takes place after the fourth movie. Tommy Jarvis is now kind of grown up. He's a little bit older, but he's still kind of mentally disturbed after the murders that happened when he was a kid. So he's kind of being raised in this like a uh, halfway house with a psychologist. And there's a kind of a group of teenagers who are all troubled teens. And all of a sudden, strange things start happening, murders, and perhaps the masked notorious killer presumed to be dead, Jason Voorhees, is back. So it was a lot of fun watching in the theater. It was actually a very packed screening. I don't think it was quite a sellout, but it was very, very packed, and people were laughing along. I don't think it's as good as a final chapter, I do, but I, I do. I am happy that people are enjoying it. Although there is some people who think that this is actually the best one, which I am like, I, I don't, I'm not in that camp, but <laughs> I had a really fun time with it. It was a lot of fun. Um, the scene where the guy puts the chocolate bar, he's annoying the guy with the ax. I mean, that's, so, it's, it's, it's sad, but it's really funny because the guy, with the ax is like, fuck off. And he's like super angry and chopping the wood. And the guy's just like prodding him, prodding him. Oh God, it's so funny. Um, yeah. So I had a good time with that one. Uh, I watched uh, two other ones as well too. Um, I rolled out to the theater this month because I've heard been hearing stuff about Babylon, which has been wild. Three hour long movie, you know, a blank check passion project from Damien Chazelle, kind of one of the hot new guys in Hollywood. You know, of course, he did Whiplash. He did uh, La La Land. And then most recently, The First Man, I think, which I didn't see. Um, so I went and saw Babylon. I actually liked it. I wasn't that much enamored by it. I thought the ending in particular was pretty terrible. But um, it is kind of a weird I mean. The movie is about, it takes place in 1926, 1927, just before the release of like Al Jolston's, like the jazz singer before the talkie revolution. So it kind of shows this kind of coterie of characters. I think Diego Luna is the main character. He's kind of this young guy oh, great. kind of wor working at this like basically like orgy palace in the middle of nowhere outside LA where like all the who's who's of Hollywood go and get naked and get do drugs and party and it's it's on it's pretty raunchy and uh there's a whole bunch of people there brad pitt rolls in this kind of layabout kind of like clark gable-esque actor who's you know a little bit older he's kind of here he, i mean the movie is basically the kind of the same plot as like singing in the rain he's playing sort of a titular role there and margot robbie's in it playing this young uh, kind of ingenue who's very troubled she's definitely like a a uh, wild, wild lady, but as a, as a result, Diego Luna falls in love with her because, of course, she's she's his type, I guess. Uh, but <laughs> the, I, I thought the beginning of the movie was actually really strong, and I mean, I, if you if you know anything about Damien Chazelle, his collaborations with Justin Hurwitz with their music, I find the scores in all of his films are so memorable, and the way he films music, like in Whiplash, like he really does a good job at showing the physicality of like playing music. And kind of the liveliness of that and i you really see that in this movie technically it's a very impressive film and i especially love there's a scene in the beginning where they're filming a long kind of old hollywood epic outside with like brad pitt's character and it kind of cuts between this other scene they're filming in a different movie with uh, margot robbie and it's so energetic and it's like it just captures like the crazy spirit of having to make these films and how dangerous making these films are. Like, um, but I, I, I did think the story was a little bit muddled, especially the ending. I mean, I don't want to spell too much, but the ending is honestly like, I mean, it's wild. Like it, it, there's like, you see avatar in it. Like I was like, wow, this is crazy. Uh, but I don't think it's his best movie. I would probably say Whiplash and La La Land were stronger movies, but it's it's kind of a weird movie because I think this thing costs like something like what, like fifty million to make, and it's only it's it's been one of the biggest box office busts of the year. So I I don't know if people are gonna come back to this and reevaluate it, but it's we're never gonna get like a movie like this again. I feel like from the Hollywood system because it's so big, so big scale, three hours long. The movie fucking feels every minute of it's three hours. It's a long ass. <laughs> it's a movie. whale of a movie. <laughs> but I love the performances. I in particular, I thought Margot Robbie. I haven't seen a lot of Margot Robbie stuff. I thought she was quite charming. I thought she was very good in the movie, um, and I actually really enjoyed Brad Pitt in it. I thought it was kind of funny to watch that in kind of contrast to like top gun maverick both movies starring kind of older hollywood guys both kind of movies almost their stories are almost very much about hey man you're getting older times are changing which they really really do with movies with like brad pitt and tom cruise so maybe that's the new era we're in is that we're going to get more of brad pitt tom cruise guys playing you know hey you're like 60 now man you know time to retire you know you're too old to be dating like 20 somethings or something i don't know um so maybe that's the new normal there i don't know but I thought it was. I thought it was okay. It was three stars. They were both. They were both together in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but I guess they never really met on the screen because they were always in different scenes. I guess Brad Pitt yeah. and Margot Robbie. Uh... 
I guess yeah, that, that that's great. That is true. I, it definitely reminded me it, to me. I haven't seen uh, people have been comparing it to Boogie Nights, but to me, the movie reminded me a lot of like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. There's there's long stretches where it's almost kind of like a hangout movie. So it definitely gave me those kind of vibes too. Um, and the last one, I think the last one I watched was uh, a more recent film, I think from 2016, The Autopsy of Jane Doe, which I oh, absolutely good. loved it. I thought it was one of the best horror movies. Emil Hirsch, seen baby. In a very long time. And man, the, I, what I really enjoyed about it, too, was Emil Hirsch and Brian Cox playing kind of the father-son kind of coroners. And I thought that was such an interesting kind of protagonist because they're, they're not you doing the usual tropes of like the, the, the kids moody and mopey and the dad's like a hard ass or abusive or ignorant. Like they're actually pretty loving and like have a good relationship. And once shit starts to go haywire, like Brian Cox has like the natural like this isn't logical. Like what's going on? But after like a couple of fucked up moments he's like yep crazy shit's happening and i like that i like that it didn't waste time um, she's not dead story- yet <laughs> yeah the story is about these two coroners once it's like a father son this family coronary uh place um it's like big storms happening at night that there's a series of strange murders and bodies found buried underground it's brought to this um uh place this morgue they're doing an autopsy and then strange paranormal shit happens and i love the movie to me i was really impressed by it the way it captured um the kind of dark mood and the way the story kind of envelops is this, I don't want to spoil too much, but you know, you really feel like how twisted and dark this is and how almost like an eldritch terror this is. Like, I think you're, you're, you're supposed to think it takes place in this certain time, but you kind of wonder if this evil is even more primordial, at least to, at least I did. So I really was taken by this movie. I thought it was technically so impressive. The performances were really good, really great scares in it and some good goop. It reminded me a lot of too, of like Prince of Darkness, like just the, the morgue itself reminded me a lot of kind of the basement staging and Prince of Darkness with kind of the corridors and rooms, even some of the moments in it. So it reminded me a lot of that movie as well too. So I, I really dug um, the autopsy of Jane Doe. To me, it's one of the best horrors that have come out in the last I don't know, seven years that I, I think would it would probably rank in my top five. It was really, really impressive movie. So, uh, yeah, that was that was about it for me. Curtis, uh, what, what have you watched recently? I know you watched that Volcano one. So yeah, yeah. And John's got a really that. cool lava shirt today, too. So I thought it's really oh, nice. Yeah, it's, it's the T2. It's the Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> you are terminated. Yeah, the molten metal, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, the first thing I watched was uh, the Volcano Rescue from Wakari, which John covered, I think, a couple weeks ago, too. And I really like this documentary. It's about White Lake, or yeah. Wakari is the uh, Maori word. Um, too, and a few years ago, um, well, I first heard about it through uh, George R. R. Martin too, because he said when he was on, in New Zealand, if uh, <laughs> if he didn't finish the book by the time he was in New Zealand, they put him on the uh, island with the with the acid lake, and I was like, well, what's that? Didn't and nature then, well that story? <laughs> oops, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that this this uh, volcano, these tourists were on this uh, island called Wakari. And it was a volcanic island and the volcano went off when they were on the island. So obviously several people died. It was a pyroclastic flow. And that's when there's um, a lot of it's a vol- eruption where you have a lot of the kind of volcanic debris and uh, hot gas, too. And it goes at you know hundreds of miles per hour. So usually quite one of the most dangerous uh, kinds of, of eruptions. And they killed a few people, too. But they interviewed some of the survivors, too. And it hit me a lot harder than I thought. It's very moving. It's very emotional. Um, but it's not just you know some some fools who went to the island too. They you know they look at the tour guides and they talk to the uh, the survivors too. And there was one boy boy who uh, literally walked through fire in it too. So I can't imagine being caught in a pyroclastic flow and making it alive. Another couple they were like being burnt and uh, they held each other's hand. And I think the only part that didn't get burnt was where they held each other's hand. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was quite intense. It was really really good though. There's a lot of trash on Netflix as we know, but I think they're really good at making documentaries sometimes and i think uh, the volcano was was definitely really good and worth a watch and then i watched um megan uh, the new uh horror film too and this is about uh it's i don't know i heard it's kind of like a satire on robots is it about yeah. this roboticist and she builds this like super ai and then she gives it to her niece <laughs> and it makes fun of like kind of corporate interests and like the fact that she kind of just gives it to her daughter as you would with an ipad too and obviously the the robot becomes quite protective of the little girl and actually i wasn't creeped out by the robot i thought for the first half of the movie there's this awful bully that the robot kills and i was like oh fuck i hated that bully <laughs> and then they kill the the awful nosy neighbor and i was like oh i didn't like the nosy neighbor <laughs> but then uh, you know it gets more serious in the second half it, i think it could have gone a bit deeper but i it was it's entertaining um kind of a cool concept too mm-hmm. and then i also started watching um 
So I'm a huge Junji Ito fan. He's this uh, Japanese, he's called the Japanese Stephen King. He does a lot of these kind of horror manga. I don't know where he gets these ideas from, but he's one of my favorites. And I just finished reading his masterpiece, uh, Uzumaki, which is about um, a town kind of plagued by these spirals that have kind of supernatural manifestations and people become obsessed and people turn into snails and all kinds of things. Um, but Junji, Junji Ito Maniac is uh, another series that he's done and it's come come to Netflix. It's called Japanese Tales of the Macabre. And I don't know, like I love his short stories, but I felt like this series was quite uh, sterile. I, uh, I really couldn't get into it. I felt like, uh, um, you know, it just, it felt rushed. It felt, uh, it was faithful to the source material, but I felt quite shallow and my, my mind kept wandering. I couldn't focus on the episodes. They have some scenes with really cheap AI or CGI too. And I really didn't like that too. And I think, you know, when you look at his drawings, they're in black and white, but they, they feel seem so much more gruesome and frightening too. Yeah. It's like you, you see a bunch of heads and you can feel how greasy and like decayed those heads are too. And in the, in the show, it just felt like a, you know, it felt like a a, a hospital room or something. You know, it, so it's I guess, weird. There's been, yeah, there's been a few uh, Junjito like adaptations, and I feel like none yeah. of them have been received all that well, which is kind of yeah. strange because you think like some of his stories, like the uh, the story of like the heads as the balloons, or oh, the, the hanging pieces, hanging like, balloons, yeah. Like you think stuff like that would do very well as like an adaptation yeah. for media. This one I was like, I was like, my minds are wandering too, and I just I couldn't focus. And the last one, I think Crunchyroll had uh, Junjito collection, but unfortunately that one was a bit of a letdown too. But I heard there adapting uzumaki which is my favorite actually so far everyone said it says this is masterpiece and i do think it's his masterpiece it's 20 volumes but if you want a good horror story i think that is that's the one to go with um but the, the tv series was quite disappointing um so yeah maybe wait for another adaptation or it might just be one of those series that where the manga is just better you can't really adapt it properly so um and then i started watching i watched the first episode of the last of us too one of my favorite video games pedro pascal uh, I always pictured kind of Elliot Page, Page as kind of uh, the Ellie character, um, but I guess they they picked Bella Ramsey from Game of Thrones, which I'm not quite sold on her yet. I, I thought it was a very good episode, uh, very emotional. I think it's it's really rewarding if you're a fan, and it's nice to see a video adaptation, video game adaptation that's actually good too. So uh, yeah, it's hey, on don't, HBO. Don't, don't sleep on Super Mario Brothers the movie. You know? Yeah, <laughs> and it's inter it's interesting too, kind of coming out of the pandemic too, because this is also about a post apocalypse, and you have these kind of people are infected by this kind of fungus fungus thing, and uh, yeah, I wasn't really sold on Bella Ramsey's Elliot, but maybe. Maybe I will as the series goes on, but every, everything else I really liked it. Great production values, really deep uh, script. And uh, yeah, I think if you like the video game, you'll, you'll probably like this adaptation, which is good. So I hope, hopefully we'll get more good. Hopefully we'll get a good Super Mario's adaptation. <laughs> and then uh, I was chatting with my friend in uh, uh, Shanghai and we always have this kind of movie date. And uh, we were talking about kind of crazy Ozploitation films. So we watched Turkey Shoot from 1982 featuring Olivia Hussey, who is in uh, Black Christmas and uh, Romeo and Juliet too. So we love Olivia Hussey here at the Seat Struck Movie Podcast. And uh, she was probably <laughs> the best part of this crazy movie, but it's about like, oh, it's just, it's such a batshit movie. It's, uh, it's set in this like concentration camp in like Australia in the future. And everyone, it's run by these like fascists basically. And then, uh, some of them escape and they're being hunted by the uh, it's a bit like the Hunger Games because they're being hunted by the uh, by a whole bunch of the fascists and these kind of rich posh people. And then it's some werewolf guy for some reason. It's, oh it's very uh, it's very unpredictable. I think Tarantino was a big fan of it, too. I mean, it's kind of a mess. It's kind of a little bit derivative too. you know, you get a bit of Mad Max in there, too. But I mean, it is kind of fun to watch. So uh, if you're if you're looking for a good Saturday Grindhouse movie, and this is the OG Grindhouse too. It wasn't as graphic as I thought it is. Maybe I'm just too desensitized, um, but um, I think it is worth a watch definitely if you like those kind of films. And the last thing I watched was that I watched episode one of that '90s show too. So I'm a big that '70s show fan. I didn't know how this one was going to go. Um, it wasn't bad actually. You know, it, it was nice to see. Uh, that grumpy old bastard <laughs> red foreman again too you know and and the uh, kitty kitty's always great and uh, uh eric foreman he's he's all grown up and he has a daughter now so uh his daughter hangs out with this like riot girl and then they hang out in their old basement and they find uh hides old weave co weed collection obviously they can't have hide the character back because Dan <laughs> danny mastin got into some weird shit so <laughs> yeah he took, it, he took it out there yeah i can't get that 90 show money unfortunately yeah I'm yeah so unfortunately I, th case. I think he's in jail for like marijuana possession or something so they actually worked it quite well into the show 
and they actually have uh you know Ashton Kutcher as Michael Kelso and Myla Kunis as uh, Jackie in the first episode it's kind of fun and apparently uh, Fez is going to appear later on too so they got all the ca- the cast back except I think uh, Eric's sister died in real life and I think Midge died yeah. in real life too which is too bad and obviously with Danny that's not happening but um, it looks kind of fun I mean we'll see where where they go with it too I'm not I you know it's still getting its rhythm I think but we'll see how it goes but that's everything I watched this week cool cool. Well, I guess that takes us then to our topic du jour, which is Casablanca. So again, happy happy 80th anniversary, uh, Casablanca. Um, just to kind of give a high level before we get into it. So what is Casablanca? Um, well, it takes place, as the namesake suggests, in Casablanca in uh, Morocco, taking place in December 1941. So this is, of course, we're watching it now as a period piece, but this was released, came out, filmed during the Second World War. Uh, the film stars Humphrey Bogart as Rick Blaine, who's this nightclub owner he owns a place called rick's cafe american um and this kind of becomes a hot spot for kind of a coterie of different figures of of savory and unsavory types um you know for a hot spot for kind of both uh nazi officials and kind of vichy france and refugees and people escaping um europe and heading to america so um many people there are coming there to try to get out and it's been suggested that rick is actually involved in helping people escape um from europe and escape the nazis so Rick says otherwise. He claims to be neutral, um, offers only sympathy, um, despite kind of past suggesting he might be a little bit more politically minded. Um, Rick kind of becomes also comes into possession of papers allowing free travel uh, to neutral Portugal. And then we find out kind of early on the movie that there's Nazis officials coming that are kind of trying to find where these papers are and trying to kind of capture and stop the people who are responsible. However, Old Flame, Ilsa Lund, played by Ingrid Bergman, and her new lo- love interest, uh, Laszlo, <laughs> played by Paul Heinrich. They show up, and he's Paul Paul Heinrich, Victor Laszlo. He's like a freedom fighter. He's very politically charged, very politically minded. They're trying to get out to escape Europe, um, to kind of get involved into the war efforts. And, and my boy, my boy Peter Laurie's in it too. He's played he and comes Peter Laurie. Yeah, he has a <laughs> Don't great forget Peter Laurie. <laughs> yeah, Peter Laurie has a good role in it as Signor Ugart, and uh, he shows up and you know it kind of start kicks off this old flame. We find out that Rick and Ilsa had this kind of romantic past, kind of lovers who've gone separate ways, and that love is reignited, and this kicks off the story. Um, and to kind of give a background about this film, so uh, this film is actually based on a play, an unproduced play called Everybody Comes to Rick's. Um, it was discovered by Warner Brothers. Um, eventually, they they got the rights to it. They made a story based off of it. Um, most of this film was actually shot on studio. So um, there were some scenes like outside Paris where they used stock clips and stuff. It, it seems very like... Uh, like a stock stock footage when it's like the old flashback, like very like British Pathé style, like kind of filmmaking there. But most of this was shot in studio, uh, directed by Michael Curtis, uh, Curtis, which I think Michael Curtis is an interesting filmmaker because he's not really remembered. Like when the auteur theory kind of became a big thing, someone who I think has been kind of assumed to be not really like an auteur director. He doesn't really have his own distinct style. Uh, but nonetheless, he actually directed a lot of really exceptional films. And uh, he's kind of like his era is like Ron Howard in a way. He's just like an unassuming guy, just kind of workman, picks up roles, makes movies, doesn't really have a particular visual style or flair, uh, but does, you know, really usually a pretty good job with what he has. And um, actually, Andrew Sarris, the man who created or is kind of credited with kind of writing and creating the auteur theory, he called Curtis uh, Casablanca. Uh, the most deci- divisive or sorry decisive exception to the author theory the author theory so um also there was don siegel was involved in some second uh unit work on the direction um the movie is interesting because it is it is a you know code era hollywood f- movie so this isn't like as explicit as if this had come out like you know like a decade prior this would be much more more kills more you know more you know sultry romance maybe high body count (laughs) it definitely feels it's like haze code sensibilities like it definitely we we get someone to get shot at the beginning there's that great scene in the beginning where um we see the refugees and one of them tries to run away and escape and he gets shot and killed but uh, and there there is another death later in the film but other than that it's not a very like bloody film considering it's a movie about nazi officials and intrigue and that sort of thing um 
So it was edited down to be a little bit less explicit. And it's actually the film is shot by Arthur Edison, who was a cinematographer who worked on the Maltese Falcon, also worked on Frankenstein with James Whale's film. So the film is really focused on highlighting Bergman. It's, of course, this is a noir film, a lot of use of kind of shadows and lights. Like at nighttime, the cafe is really darkened. So we really kind of see the expressions and faces, characters kind of in the dark. And even Ingrid Bergman was shot on her preferred side. Most of the shots of her are kind of from her left side. Usually they use like a soft gaze with her. It kind of makes it, when you look at her, it gives her like a sense of tenderness, nostalgia, melancholy. Um, and of course they use the noir and stuff to kind of make the feel, there's parts of the film that feel almost very expressionist because we're getting that kind of heightened uh, visual, visual style of people's faces that I mean. You got two great lead performances here. You got the goat, Humphrey Bogart, kind of his iconic role as as uh, as Rick. And he's always goating. <laughs> man, Humphrey Bogart. As soon as the, as soon as he enters, because of film, the Sierra and Madre, it, like, man. <laughs> the the opening of this film. It was so great to rewatch this because we get that great title card with like it really kind of gets you into it. It's like World War Two, and it has like the map. I love when old films have like the map showing shit going on. It really kind of centers <laughs> you in this place, and you kind of get the sense right away that this is like a an area of kind of a mix a hodgepodge of different peoples of both the fascist nazis who are coming there and also kind of the you know the natives and also the refugees that are kind of passing through so it's this kind of heightened ecosystem like when the we get the swooping camera coming into rick's diner like you see there's so much shit going on like every everything happening all the dinner conversations it's all authentic like it looks so real and i mean ingrid i mean humphrey bogart just like as soon as he enters like the film is on him and i mean this is this is iconic iconic bogey like he's got the hat he's got the the trench coat like he's got and 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 the diner scene he's got that white that white suit with the tux with the black tie i mean he looks he looks really great in it i think he just he's really captivating really charming in it and then of course we got some great performances you already mentioned peter laurie i really love uh claude rains as louis renault like i think it's a really fun performance yeah that's that's a fun one kind of like whose side is he on and i I don't know to me like i kind of read him almost like a little bit gay too like he's talking about oh women (laughs) they ruin everything or whatever he seems really fixated on rick he's like oh rick's my man or whatever it's like I don't a beautiful know. friendship. Yeah. A yeah. beautiful friendship. <laughs> I think this is friendship. the start of a beautiful friendship. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the movie is so fucking quotable, too. Like, I mean, here's looking at you, kid. Um, you know, the ending line. Play, the, yeah, the, 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 play again, play again, Sam. Play again, Sam, which didn't even happen in the film, but I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 one of the most quoted movies, I think, of all time. It's one of those movies, kind of like I look at this movie, uh, like The Godfather, like Citizen Kane. Movies that I didn't watch them as a kid. But I kind of did because I watched The Simpsons or I watched any other show where almost every single scene of this movie has been parodied, spoofed. Probably you can map an entire episode of The Simpsons with every scene of this movie, just The Godfather. Like I've seen when I watch this, I watched this for the first time. I watched it for Valentine's Day a few years ago at the Mayfair. And I was like, I I was like, wow, I recognize a lot of this movie from just you know pop culture fixations like the ending with the foggy night with the plane taking off that whole scene's been done so many other times and it was really fun to check this one out i guess i would like to know like what, what was the first time you guys did you was i I, don't, I assume this wasn't your first time watching yeah. this movie, but have you guys have you guys seen this before what was your experience the first time yeah so i i always uh, it was nice to Casablanca because i think this is one of those masterpiece films that i loved as much as my dad loves too so my aunt and uncle always had this beautiful they have really beautiful posters at Casablanca but now i can't unsee it because uh we love ingrid bergman i i think she's gorgeous and amazing and such a great actress but they have this poster of her and it looks like she has like a cold sore on her lip my dad pointed out now i can't like unsee it too because i really wanted this poster and then like i I feel like i can't unsee it when i see this poster now but yeah i I watched it when i was a kid i loved it i watched it when i was teen loved it watched it my recently loved it again so i mean it's just one of those amazing films and i hope hollywood keeps its hands off it too what did you think what about you quinn yeah no uh, just like you i saw it when i was young too and uh it was I think I can't remember if I if I had seen the Maltese Falcon first, which is mm-hmm. probably my favorite Bogey movie. Um, you know, I, I love Sierra Madre as well, but yeah. African um, Queen too for me. Oh yeah, um, but uh, yeah, I saw it when I was pretty young, and I I, I don't know, I I was immediately like I gravitated towards it because I'm I'm just a huge Humphrey Bogart fan. I just think he's super cool, super stylish. He just has that sort of like. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, he's kind of he's kind of like an ugly guy, but he's like and he's like this magnetic charisma. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) Oh yeah, no. Um, it it, but you know, like you said, with with him and Ingrid in this, they're you can't keep your eyes off them, and and with their uh, with that sort of fast zoom in camera, you know, up to them and 
and and up to Rick in his bar and stuff and and just 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 the script itself is just so memorable and quotable and it's just uh I I try to watch this movie about once a year. Um, I have it on VHS where and I, I threw it on recently for for the podcast. But um, no man, it, th- this movie is just a it's an untouchable masterpiece, and uh, it 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 should be seen by everybody because it. As much as it, as it is a war movie, it also isn't though too, right? Yeah. So it's 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 got a little bit of a a little bit of humor, a little bit of um uh you know it's it is dramatic, but it's not over the top, and it's not over the top war or over the top political. Um, it's a it's a good uh, it's a good movie of many uh, uh for 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 many reasons anyway, but. Uh, yeah, I saw it as a kid and it's stuck with me ever since. Yeah, I kind of I think one of the reasons I avoided the movie is because I just assumed it was kind of like more of like a soapy romance. And, you know, mm. I think if you've never seen it for that reason, it's not that movie at all. And actually, I would suggest a lot of people probably don't realize that this film actually is a war movie and that war actually yeah. does mean a lot to the film. And the fact that coming back to of... it now, this is a film made like during the height of World War II. And then and it's <laughs> kind of interesting to think of that as sort of a we look at it now as like a historical fact of you know, it was before our time. And, but this was a film that when people were going to see this, they might've had friends or family who were actively fighting and dying in this war. So there's a bit of like an emotional connection there that I think really, really makes it impactful. But I, I also, I love Bogey as well too. I mean, he's a little bit older than I think people would, would think in his movies. He's like, I think yeah. he's solid like 44, 42 in this film movie. Yeah. He, he's more rugged, um, but he's or really funny. Smoking. Like he's, he's, I think he's really like his his jokes and kind of one off lines are are so fun. And um, he's he got he's got a magnetic ma- magnetic presence too. I think in every film too. I mean, he doesn't look great. I mean, he doesn't have a great face or anything too. But he always like draws you in. I find it's like a magnetic kind of Christmas, I, like I, James Dean. You know, I think he has a good face. I think he has kind of that melancholic like kind of. He almost has like a puppy dog look. Like when he's sad looking, <laughs> he kind of has those like big soapy like big 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 orb eyes and i think like he really draws you in as kind of um you know a little like you you would imagine him in his 20s as prime as this like you know you know really really big guy and now he's kind of he's kind of on the down end of his career he kind of reminds me like it's not the same kind of guy but someone like the characters that someone like brad pitt plays now kind of older i mean brad pitt's older than bogey in this but playing like an older kind of more rugged leading man and that's that's what bogey is in this and i mean yeah ingrid bergman is fantastic i mean i think I mean, obviously she's she's really stark, stark, beautiful. But I think like she really like as soon as she enters the movie, the film just like the way the film focuses on her when she comes in. Like even we get so many scenes with where she's with um, Victor Laszlo, and you know the film is kind of Victor Laszlo's the one talking, and it's supposed to be focusing on him. But we can't help but look at Ingrid Bergman, and I actually really love Paul Heinrich in this movie. I think he's a really great performer, and he gets he gets the big moment right, the famous La Marseille scene where he's the one who you know, is the one who says, play it. And it's kind of a fun scene there. I mean, that's kind of the big iconic scene of this movie, one of them anyways. And it's an interesting scene because I think if you're not familiar with the movie, if you've just seen it out of context, you would assume Victor Laszlo is the main character. He's sort of the one who's like, let's do it. Let's get stick it to the Nazis. Let's play the song. <laughs> but really they look at Rick and Rick's the one who nods. Rick's actually the one still in power, but it's a beautiful scene. And we get that great moment where Ingrid Bergman kind of like falls in love with Paul, Paul Heinrich. Again, I really love like the romance triangle in this because it feels real. Like we know that they they had a real moment, Humphrey and Bogart's character, Rick and Ilsa, like, you know, they'll always have Paris. There was a real moment between them that for circumstances out of their control caused things to change and they still have love for each other. And I kind of wonder, like I, we, we kind of know at the end of the movie that Paul, uh, that, that uh, Victor Laszlo, I guess at least knows Rick tells him, Oh, she wanted me to think we were in love, but I kind of wonder how much does Victor Laszlo know about their past and like, because Victor Laszlo clearly has an affinity for Rick. He knows that Rick has this kind of political past as sort of a, he was involved in the Spanish civil war on the side of kind of the, uh, the, the Republic, like kind of the people. So he kind of, I wonder how much he's playing like Rick, like, does he know what's going on between him and Ilsa? Does he care? Does he, it's very, and you, you kind of think even up to the end of the movie that, Ilsa might just ditch him like you don't yeah, know there's it's, a lot of there's a lot yeah. of twists and turns and even the ending like my friend said it was predictable I, I thought the ending was quite unpredictable and I, I did I yeah. thought you know maybe they'd be together but like it's I'm not going to spoil it but I mean it's it's not what I expected and you know there's a lot of twists and turns too you know where like Peter Laurie's character gets killed off and you know there's a lot of it's it's lot great of intrigue, to watch yeah. from a, a near noir perspective it's really really good too yeah yeah, yeah. definitely 
Yeah, I think it's it's what's yeah. I found it really the story. Like I I didn't know the story. I, I managed to not spoil this fucking almost eighty year old movie when I saw it. But yeah, <laughs> after that big that big last La Marseille scene, like the rest of the movie is kind of like the okay, we're getting the things together, and it's a lot of like the political machinations while shit's going on, and, and it doesn't and you, you, it doesn't signal that this is going to happen. You think that maybe she is going to bail, but it doesn't. There's no real. There never, there never is that big overwrought moment of like, oh, I'll always love you. It's really played off as a little bit more muted emotionally. Ilsa and, and Rick don't even kiss. Like it's kind of like, yeah. Victor Laszlo shows up and he kind of shakes his hand. He's like, thank you, you know, for doing everything for this for us. And it's, I think, from from Bogie's from the perspective of Bogie's character, I think for Rick, it's a really great character evolution for him. It's kind of the idea of. You know, which side are you on? This is an explicitly political movie. The Nazis, the side of the allies and kind of the freedom fighters. It's like, you know, you can't help but pick a side. You're involved in this conflict. You're an actor. You're involved in this. Are you going to actually take control over what you're doing or not? And there's this kind of theme of Rick being this kind of layabout who he, he doesn't want to take ownership for what's actually going on. He's willing to just kind of be a middleman. I don't want to just say this is just like something like a... Um, um, the Schindler's List or something, but it is playing the same kind of idea of like a character, a good man in a bad time. And what are you going to do in that moment? And Rick decides to be the, take control of himself and, and be someone who could be a great person. And, and, and you know, I, I was saying last time too, you know, I, <laughs> maybe I'm too hard on him. I do think Lazo is kind of boring, but like, I mean, he's actually a really good guy. Like you actually care about him too. He doesn't yeah. have that red hot chemistry of Ilsa and, and Rick, but like you do care about him and he actually means well and he's a good yeah. person. Too. He's not so an he, asshole. Like other yeah. movies would have him doing shit <laughs> underneath yeah. or, you know, being jealous, but he's just kind of, you can see why Elsa likes him. He's a good he's, dude. He's a good he's, guy. He's, he's nice. He's like, he gets along with everyone. He's charismatic. <laughs> it's like, no wonder she's in love with him. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a really kind of fun movie that way. And yeah, I love the German villains in this. They're pretty fun. And what's interesting too about this film is that, you know, the film is about all the people in this movie. We see, we meet um, uh, Yvonne, who's in love with Rick. She's kind of this discarded woman. I, I guess one of the things that's aged the worst is that Rick only date. He's like Leo. He only dates like 25 year olds and he calls them kid. It's kind of weird, but uh, you know, different time, but it's, it's fun. Madeline LeBeau was actually, I think she was the oldest living actor from this film. She only passed away. I believe in, I think I want to say like 2020 she died or might've been a few years before, but she, she was the last living longest living uh, actor from this film. And, um, she has a great moment in that La Marseille scene where we see her crying and singing. And in reality, she was an actual French refugee who had fled from Nazi Germany. Um, I think most of the character actors that play kind of the staff in the film, um, we get like the bartender who's like a Russian. He was a Jew. Um, a lot of them were all Russian, Poles, Jews who had actually fled Europe, now living in America, making this American production. And we see so, and I think that really adds some real authenticity to the film. Like that scene where she's crying and singing, it it works in the film. But thinking about her real life, like she was someone whose family and friends had been killed, murdered, forced away, and you could see that emotion on her face. And it like I I, I really enjoy watching that for this reason. This is a film that is authentic. These were real people affected by the shit that was going on. And I also fucking love Sam. The music of this movie, oh my god. It's it's so good. The let the light motifs of like they do like the you must remember this with like the La Marseillaise and they kind of use that at various times of the film. Like a lot of the scenes with Rick and Ilsa, we get the like you must remember this and uh um and that music too. And I I whenever I think of that too, I think of the the great podcast, the Korean Longworth podcast, You Must Remember This, which uses the like, you know, the you the uses the as time goes on with the the day to day. Let's just like singing the song. <laughs> and whenever I hear that, I, I used to listen to that podcast all the time before I saw this movie. So when I saw that scene, uh, I got a pretty good good kick out of it. Um, yeah, it's a pretty a pretty thrilling movie too. I I, I mean the ending too, where Rick uh, you know shoots the the guy who like is about to capture him. Like that's a really kind of fun scene, almost like a Greedo shoots first kind of moment where it's like, you know, it's it's a it's a classic kind of noir thriller moment there. Um, but I think it does a really good job at kind of blending the kind of intrigue thriller noir stuff that's there the whole time throughout the movie with the greater romance stuff that feels really significant that is shot really well too and even Ingrid Bergman's character she's not a ditz either she's someone who is really smart she has yeah, you a, have a lot of respect of, for her yeah she has a good sense of what's going on like she knows like you know we're in danger like we need to leave and like um has a good relationship with the people at the bar too like when the scene when she reunites with Sam that's a really nice touching scene like re-watching that I was like that's a really nice moment like there's some there are two characters that you know they're kind of she he's Sam's more of a side character, but someone who obviously has a great affinity for her. She has it for him and she loves his music. And that's a great, really touching character scene with the two of them when she's when he's playing the music. And uh yeah, so this movie obviously 
celebrated. Like when this movie came out, people loved it. They actually they they timed the release of this movie to to happen. I think right when uh, they had the um, Casablanca Casablanca conference with the kind of political leaders like Roosevelt and stuff. They actually released it around that time. They kind of it's kind of weird to think of like the marketing. We got to capture the the war battles or whatever, like the war meetings, like as a Hollywood thing. But um, they did, of course, this movie did get released in Europe. And there were some like significant cuts made. Like this movie got like a, a re- official release in uh, West Germany in 1952 with like 25 minutes cut out because I mean they had a lot of restrictions with what they could show with like the Nazi soldiers and stuff like that. Um, of course, now you have access to all the the full theatrical release. Um, the movie, obviously, for its time, very well received. Um, it was liked. A lot of people liked it for the fact that it was kind of viewed as sort of a piece of anti-axis propaganda it was like an anti-nazi germany movie so people liked it critically and commercially for that reason too um it actually won best picture which at the time was called the most outstanding motion motion picture at the oscars uh michael curtis won for i believe for best director um bogey claude rains both got nominated for best actor best supporting actor respectively uh the movie did commercially very well 3.7 million uh which is which as of 2020 was the equivalent of like 47 million dollars so pretty good good commercial movie as well too and i think commercially it's it's one of those movies that's really had its life extended by television like this was a movie that would appear on and on and on tv i think in 1977 this was the most broadcast film on american tv like this was one that got annual releases for valentine's day for its anniversaries and kind of notoriously maybe you guys have seen this there was that do you remember that period of time where like turner classics would do like colorized like 50s movies and stuff like classic yep. hollywood movies uh this of course got the treatment so it got like the colorized treatment so there is some people like our age growing up might have seen on tv like on tbs like the colorized casablanca which I saw some scenes of it and it is fucking weird because Casablanca is not meant to be a colored movie. It looks so strange watching it in color. And it shows like there's something weird about seeing like Humphrey Bogart, like, like with like a normal human skin complexion. It's like, there's something strange and alien about it. It's like these people should not be human. They're like objects out of space and time. It's, it's very odd, but yeah, this movie has been frequently broadcast on TV for years. It's even gotten a lot of releases. I mean, I saw it in the theater. It gets kind of regular releases at like rep screenings. Um, very interesting too because i think a lot of movies of this era maybe some exceptions like especially for noirs like the maltese falcon and a lot of classic hollywood stuff you know really has fallen out of public consciousness people don't really know about it or remember about it but people even to this day recognize and remember casablanca and recognize bogey and bergman uh, this is kind of their seminal work now because a lot of people this is probably the only bogart movie they've seen or this might even be mm. the only ingrid bergman movie unless they've seen some of like the rossellini stuff in the 60s 70s but this is probably what they've seen uh with them um and i i, I found a fun quote um ingrid bergman talking about playing elsa she said i feel about casablanca that it has a life of its own there is something uh, mystical about it. It seems to have filled a need, a need that was there before the film, a need that the film filled. Um, and this one is still well-received, of course. Uh, Sight and Sound just released their every decade. They do their big critic and director best films of all time list. And this ranked 63, 63rd. I think it's actually fallen a little bit over the years. It used to be like a solidly like top 15, 20 film. Um, but it's still up there as one of the greatest films. I think for its decade too, I think this is still... Um, an amazing film, uh, a really fun film. And AFI, you know, they did their top 100 list. They did that, I think, like 20, 15 years ago. Um, this ranked really high. It was the number two film on their best of uh, of list of all time. Um, As Time Goes By, the titular song in that movie, uh, this was ranked the number two song of all time in films. Rick Blaine was ranked number four in its hero list. And Rick and Elsa were ranked number one on their love story list. So this is a movie that even to this day, it's now getting, I think, even like a 4K release today, still well regarded. Um, anything else you guys want to mention about this film? I, I think this film, like, I, I really want to rewatch it again. Like, I think what's really fun about it. it is that this is an 80-year-old movie that it, it's, it feels like it came out like five years ago. Like, it feels so, there's something so about it. It doesn't feel boring. Everything, the way it looks, it's so snappy. None of the performances even feel like archaic or stilted. Like, everything feels like you could put Bogey into a movie today and he'd feel like he would fit right in. Like, there's something about their performances that really... They really work in this too. Uh, I think the only other thing I want to add is that it's nice that they haven't really made a sequel or tried to readapt yeah. this too. Um, I know Francois Truffaut was invited to uh, or thought it was was approached about doing a sequel. I think in the fifties or sixties, and I'm glad he didn't do that too. And yeah. I hope they just leave it alone because I think uh, I heard there was a Bollywood a, a version. I don't know. There is but... a Bollywood version, I believe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. But yeah, I think the original is the, the way to see it. Maybe not, maybe in black and white too. And people who don't like old movies, I would say this is a great starting point if you want to get into older films too. Cause I mean, there's some great yeah. older films too. So I think that's a really good entry point. Yeah. Uh, yeah no, I agree. Yeah. And I know, I know a lot of the movies from the forties, you know, they can have um, sort of like, pacing issues <laughs> cheap cheap like cheap costumes or cheap yeah. you know just just kind of like uh you know like on the lower quality side yeah, but i find these sets movie... and stuff like that like old yeah like <clears throat> stuff. but i i find this movie like not only super believable but um like the costumes are, are are amazing like all of the uh and like the lighting is really well done for a movie from the 40s it's just like no it it's just captivating it, it brings you right in and um yeah I, I i agree with the sequel thing too i hope they never touch this because mm -hmm. this this movie is untouchable like it really is it's one of the greatest of all time yeah and uh, yeah no I, I don't know if you could do a, a remake now because i think like part of the thing that is interesting about this film is that they don't really make movies like this anymore like big mm. hollywood kind of classic romances i think uh well la la land is more in the vein of like a 60s 50s musical but that that's kind of an exception to the rule like i think of like Baz Luhrmann did that big romance australia which totally flopped like there's not really a market now for movies like this if you did this movie you'd have to have like a marvel element or something or this would have to tie into a bogey cinematic universe or something there's no there's no real market now for this kind of movie which it, i i think um as as a result protects it from being like remade or remade but it's it's a kind of oppressive it never has been that no one's ever thought of like let's do this over again considering how many other classic hollywood stuff has been or has at least been kind of mined for different movies so um as a result it gives it this quality like you're saying of it's like this object in a shelf like it's never been touched it'll never be touched it kind of exists as its own thing and I guess we can get into the reviews. Kind of boring because I think we're all universally. This is a five out of five movie. This movie's fucking brilliant. Awesome movie. Yeah. Like I watched this for the first time like two years ago, and I was like, I was there was times where I teared up. There was times where I laughed a lot because I think uh, Rick Blaine has so many funny moments in this, and the music's amazing. Like God, everything about this movie. Like I want to rewatch it again, like today because it's so good. It's so textual. Um, great performances. Anything else you guys have to say about it? Like, I think it's just a brilliant movie. No, it's a masterpiece, and I, I, I think it's Humphrey's best. I think it's Angry Bird. They're all at their best here. So, it's, yeah. uh, if you like Peter Laurie too, I really like the film M. Fritz Lang's M. That's a really good one too. I, I think you know, as I said, I love Peter Laurie's kind of this un, unsung hero. So it's really nice. And M too, you get to see him more, more. You get to see more Peter Laurie, which is nice too. It's about a child killer in in Germany before the uh, Nazi regime, and you see like how witch hunty the people are becoming. Uh, really well done. Yeah. yeah it's fantastic no i i agree there, there's nothing there's nothing negative you can say about this movie everything about it it's 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 perfection um it's 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 beautiful it's funny it's entertaining it's just everything um obviously we're big bogey fans here on the seed struck movie podcast um it's a five out of five from all of us uh a classic um yeah it's it's one of, it's one of the greatest movies ever made period and it's under two hours long. It's actually a pretty like paced, well paced movie too. Like it doesn't really, yeah. doesn't really drag. It feels like it, it moves along really well. Like I think when they get to like the uh, one of the when, when I think when Ingrid Bergman comes in, we've already like there's been a good chunk of the movie already at the beginning. So it's it, it really kind of it, it's really well paced. Like the timing of it, nothing feels like too long. Nothing feels too dry. It really like you can really just sit through the whole thing and really be enraptured by it. So yeah, we love it. Overall score five out of fives across the board. One of the rare five out of fives across the board movies it, it's there for a reason this is a classic just hitting its anniversary so you might be able to actually capture this or go see this in theaters because i believe you know valentine's day is coming up this tends to get a lot of releases on valentine's at local cinemas so keep an eye out if you live in a town this might play on the big screen otherwise um you can watch the streaming um you can even borrow it from your library i mean this movie's been released everywhere every which way it's just got a 4k uhd release too so i think this would be a really good one to watch in 4k a lot of the noirs are because you really get mm. the good contrast with the blacks and whites so i'd love to see this um in that kind of pristine quality too so um yeah definitely check out uh Casablanca. it's good folks still good it was good still good still too. great so <laughs> always got, great. but now but now it's got the seat struck seal of, of approval people were waiting with bated <laughs> breath got the, for that. it's got the chef's kiss <laughs> <laughs> so um it's, i guess six thumbs up 
Dig, yeah. <laughs> so I guess uh, rolling out then, what do we have coming up? Well, we got a bunch of shit coming up. We're going to be doing, um, obviously, we started our Ridley Scott watch series. So we are going to be doing more Ridley Scott. So folks are like, where's Alien? When are they going to do Alien? Well, we're going to be doing <laughs> Alien, of course. Um, next week, we're actually going to be doing kind of a, a coda to our John Carpenter watch series. I went through all the scores. I made a list of where what what were our final rankings from top to bottom what were the movies so we can kind of run through that and see where did they fall kind of on our rankings like i know there's some that i was like five out of five on others were like two out of five and you know what were our differences there coming back to them do is there any do we think that there were some movies that we if we revisited we'd be higher on versus others would be kind of fun to kind of go through that and revisit it and and john carpenter just had a birthday last week so um happy belated i think we mentioned on the program but again happy birthday to good old john carpenter um Mm -hmm. but we're gonna be doing more of course really scott too uh we're gonna be doing an episode on temple of doom coming up soon uh which my buddy tom from uh, domestic pints only he was on our office space episode he's coming back for that one excited to check out temple of doom uh we've got some more stuff coming up we're gonna be doing personal canons as well too i think curtis me curtis and quinn all have movies that we're going to be doing probably over sometime over the next few weeks so if you're listening as well too if you're a eager listener um we would recommend again if you have recommendations email us i believe it's seatstruckpodcast at gmail.com is that right quinn yeah so email us there you can also we have social media you know we have personal accounts some of you know us like just we have information in the show notes read it you know contact us if you'd like add me on letterbox looking for letterbox buddies um otherwise I would say as well, rate and review us five stars, Apple podcasts, an algorithm thing. I hate begging for likes, but you know, do it. Give us a good review if you like us. Um, and if you want to come on, let us know too. We love having guests on, especially when it's like a, someone wants to recommend a movie. It's really fun to have someone on for like one of their favorite movies where they can talk about it endlessly. Um, so yeah. Anything you guys want to mention or plug as well too? Uh, before we No, that's all on? for me. Yeah, I don't think so. All right. As time goes, play it again. Play it. Play us off, Sam. You know, as time goes <laughs> on. Uh, thank you for listening, everyone. We'll be back again next week. Take care, folks. Take care.